Welcome to the Barely Liquid Podcast. On this show, I talk about planning a life around illiquidity. Join us as we navigate around the complexities of investing in businesses, real estate, and more. To learn more, visit jakecran.com. That's J-A-K-E-C-R-A-N.com. All right, what's up, everybody? I'm here with John Harlan. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, where you're from, what you do, and we'll dive in, man. Uh, grew up in South Louisiana, met Jake at Baylor, uh, currently live, lived in Dallas for a while, currently live in Colorado, have a a wife, two kids, and one on the way, so life is... You're about to join the three-kid club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you in that club right now? I am. It, it destroyed me. That's great. Good. Good to know. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're about about a month out from the third one. So, yeah, I had so much hubris going into three kids because we had our second kid in the middle of COVID. We moved to Nashville, or we moved from Nashville to Dallas when he was two months old. So I'm like, well, we have a three third kid. Oh, this is easy. Like we just crushed it with two, and then it it knocked me down pretty good. <laughs> How old is third too right good. now? He's uh, 18 months. Okay. They're five, three, and one. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got, we'll be three, 18 months and newborn. So they're, they're tight. Yeah. It's going to be great. All I can say is good luck, man. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so you're the CEO of Crapevine. So let's, let's start. We met at Baylor after college. You, when I think of John Harlan, I think of kind of serial entrepreneur. And did you ever think about getting a real job? Did you ever get a real job? I had a job uh, right out of college, um, which was great. I learned a lot. Uh, I'm not opposed to having a job. I think it just kind of ended up where I where I did through a series of events. So I don't know. I think it's it's, I think entrepreneurship is interesting because it's, uh, my brother-in-law and I talk a lot about the fear to fun ratio, like when you're doing adventures. Uh, so I think about that a lot with entrepreneurship, there's the, the fear to fun ratio of you're kind of out there on your own, uh, to a large degree. Um, but, uh, you know, you in a sense own your destiny, um, so it's it's interesting, but yeah, not opposed to getting a more conventional job. Um, but I'm grateful that we've I've been able to kind of do this uh, so far. So yeah, it's been so, good. Yeah. So where did it, it start after Baylor? Was it the grocery delivery company? Yeah, I started. Well, so when I was in college, I had a a traditional job, a marketing internship, and a few weeks in, I was hating it. So I just quit. Uh, <laughs> and then I somehow convinced my parents to bankroll me to buy and flip a house. So we had like 45 days until I had to go back to Baylor. So we bought a house, flipped it, made like 60 grand. And I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Uh, so out of college, um, I thought construction was what I liked. And so I went and worked for a home builder in Dallas, uh, for about a year. And I think through that process realized it was more 
entrepreneurship that was exciting, you know, and, and construction's great too, but it, that could apply to any industry. So did the home building thing for about a year. And then, yeah, we moved to Florida to, to deliver groceries to vacationers on 30A. Um, so that was a very interesting Yeah. How'd endeavor. you come up with that idea? I didn't actually, my, my brother-in-law did, uh, did it with my sister, brother-in-law and another friend. Um, they were up at the Catskill mountains in New York, uh, I think. And they were, and he called me and it's like, this is the greatest idea. People are less price sensitive. They value time more on vacation. They'll willing to pay more. We should do grocery delivery. And that was like, you know, that was the very early days of Instacart, um, before grocery delivery, uh, was, you know, what it is now. Um, so it was a cool idea. We took the very much the wrong approach and how, how we did it. Uh, but you know, hindsight's 2020. How was that? We went the route of renting a warehouse. We bought refrigerated delivery trucks. We had a walk-in cooler. We had, I don't know, fifty hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory in our so warehouse. A lot of CapEx. Yep. And just not scalable. And then the other thing we didn't realize, if you ever go to watercolor 38, 95% of our revenue was between like 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. on every Saturday because that's right. when everyone turns over. So, you know, I mean, you're just absolutely redlining for like that 24 hours and then <laughs> nothing for five days, you know. So it was just, it. don't start a grocery delivery business is the short answer. Well, no, I think uh, y'all were just early to it. And then now Amazon, Tom Thumb. I mean, I I only go to the grocery store when on the way home from work when it's like, get chocolate chips, get milk. But like, I mean, we spend like 99 bucks a year to get our groceries delivered from Tom Thumb. I mean, you're yeah. just early to it, man. You got out yeah, at the right time before early. the big dogs got there. Yeah. It would have, what we should have done is just rented a house on the beach and when let people order and run through Walmart, pick it up and go drop it off at their house and charge them 50 bucks. That would have <laughs> been the, yeah. that would have been the way to do it. So for yeah. sure. So you did the grocery delivery business. You, um, what, what came next? We were planning to do it a second year. We did it for like one summer and through, we re we realized we really needed better technology to automate some of the stuff we were doing. Cause it was very cumbersome. And so we looked at interviewed a few firms to hire, to build the software and, through that process, we're like, man, I feel like we could just kind of learn to code. This seems way more fun to just figure this out. We've got six months till next summer. So we just dove in and put ourselves through our own version of a boot camp and kind of fell in love with writing software and creating things that way. Um, and that kind of became, we tried to build a product or two and then ultimately just you know, started fielding requests from friends and personal network to help them build things, whether it was a mobile app, a web app, you know, more complicated problems that they were having that couldn't be solved by an off the shelf solution. You know, it would, Hey, will you come look at my business with me and you know, help us figure this out? Could you build a solution? You know, here are the problems that we're experiencing and this creates tons of manual work. Could you, you know, create a solution around this? So, that was really how it started. So it was me, my brother-in-law and my sister. And, um, we each kind of had our little started kind of inadvertently and not really intentionally 
just one at a time, like helping people out. Um, and, uh, and it was quite literally, we were in my parents' basement at the time in South Louisiana. So it's a true start it in your parents' basement situation. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's, uh, so you started learning how to code so you could be more efficient at delivering groceries and you never even made it back to 30A the next summer. You just started mm -hmm. finding projects around Texas, Louisiana, and started helping people with websites and apps. Yep, pretty much. So do you feel like you're a up-to-speed coder now? Is that part of your day-to-day? -day? Are you um, creating software? Yeah, um, I think I... Um, I just really enjoy it. I think it's, it's, I like making things in general. Uh, so the days where I get to spend time writing code are good days, uh, for the most part. And so along the way, like we built a pretty big, my brother-in-law started it like this core system that we run our business off of. So, and then I kind of took it over and have uh, added to a lot and it, it automates a lot of processes that enable us to manage our team and manage projects. Um, and then have partnered up with different folks along the way and built other built a, a SAS tool for the, in the performance lead generation space called flip forms. We built it with a couple other partners, um, got it to generate some revenue and then we sold it off to a strategic in that space. And then now we're, building another tool for commercial real estate brokers right now. Uh, so that's been a really fun outlet for me to keep my skills sharp. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's been good. So let's dive in deeper into uh, the tool you're building for real estate brokers. Just tell us about yeah. that, how you came up with the idea and what exactly it is. Yeah, for sure. It's called Scout Space. Uh, it used to be called Top Commute. Um, and the, the process was, you know, I did not intend on building a product, but we, pre-COVID, we were in an office in Dallas on Walnut Hill in 75. Uh, and it was, it was okay. If you know the area, it's, uh, it's not exactly uh, a tech hub or like a super <laughs> walkable area. And so... We always thought it'd be cool to be in Deep Ellum or East Quarter or even the Design District or something that just felt more creative and techy and that kind of thing. So we would we we're constantly looking at spaces to move to, and and part of the problem for me at the time, maybe let's say we had thirty employees, was hey, if we move, like if we move from Walnut Hill and seventy five to the Design District, like who is going to leave Crapine because of this, like? Who, whose commute just got doubled and is now spending an additional hour a day in the car? Like whose life does this ruin essentially? Uh, and so I created this idea like, well, I know, you know, Google directions, like I can calculate from my house to my office. It tells me how long it takes. Um, like what if we built something to where I, I know there's an API that you could use. What if you built something where I could take every employee and look at all 15 different potential locations, calculate everyone's driving distance to every potential location and figure out which location is best. Where should we be to optimize commuting? Um, and then, you know, if we did move here, who is that, who is that really going to impact? Like, who's it going to positively impact? Like these five people, it's a, it's shorter. 
And these five, like it doubles their commute. So I built just a very simple kind of abstract tool that could give me that data. And at the time, a couple brokers I knew, like I showed to them and they would reach out and be like, Hey, I actually have a client that had the same question. Could you like manually go run this report for them? So I would go do it manually and like give them the data back. And then it kind of made me think, well, I wonder if we commercialize this into a product with brokers you know, want to be able to give their clients this data. Like I get that they're not always going to be in a, if someone's re-signing a lease in a current, in, in their current location, right. like they're not going to care. But if someone's considering a move across town or at least looking at their options, it's really interesting data. So we kind of wrapped it into a product, put some design on it. We call it top commute. And we took that and went and talked to brokers in our network. Um, and what we realized in that process is as cool as that commuting tool was the bigger kind of opportunity in my mind was around just market surveys in general. So it, every time a broker, uh, tenant rep broker is working with a client on finding a space, they're going to send them what's called a survey, which is, Hey, here are your 10 available options. You know, Zillow doesn't exist in commercial real estate. You may you may say, oh, that's LoopNet. It's not like the data is wrong and 20% of listings exist on LoopNet. So there's really not an efficient way for a commercial real estate broker to show their clients like, here are your properties, here are your options. Uh, so they send them a PDF or a spreadsheet and it just is not the user experience that I'm looking for, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm making the assumption other people would enjoy it a digital experience where they can click around on a map, look, use street view, look through 20 photos, look at floor plans, all in that setting. And then we can lay commute analysis on top of it, uh, kind of if and when a client requests it. So that's what we're building right now. Um, and it's been, it's been a fun run so far. Yeah. What's uh, if I'm a broker right now and I want to get my hands on that, like what version exists today and how do I get my hands on it? Yeah, so you can you can just go to scoutspace.io and sign up and use a free trial. You can email me and I'll let you I'll extend your trial for probably as long as you want to use it. <laughs> uh, the the functionality I'm describing exists today. Uh, and it's you know, we have people on it across the country, uh, New York, Florida, Atlanta, Dallas, uh, California that are using it right now. Um, and we're slowly starting to monetize it. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's there like, as, as with most products that there's a long roadmap of things we want to add, um, as we kind of niche further into industrial and the retail space and add you to or allow users to manipulate the map and add different data points, add, uh, some foot traffic data. You know, I think a lot of it too is bringing in third-party data sources to just, you know, give the client more more information right so it's like what i discovered in working with our brokers i would get sent 10 options and then i immediately am pulling up google and other things to copy paste the address and go look well what's around here you know like you you need more information and so like how can we bring all that information to one place and make the process of finding a space easier uh is is essentially the problem we're trying to solve that's awesome man well, I, I'm, I'm imagining a world where the uh, I haven't figured out how to make my phone be quiet when I'm recording a podcast. I'm going to have to figure that out. Um, 
but I'm imagining a world where like you've got the map and you've got the, all right, the commute times are better for this people, but like the vibes suck. And like yeah. you're at Walnut Hill in 75 or you're at where I am at Preston and McCollum and across the street is a soapy Jeff's car wash and a McDonald's and <laughs> the vibes just aren't that great, but Hey, it's a yeah. good price per square foot and it's 10 minutes from suburbia. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, that that's that's tough you know like we're pulling in walk score right now which is a i mean it's not great but it's it does look at all that stuff and and it'll rank and and tell you like hey here's the walk score hey it'll highlight this one has the best walk score we'll also pull in transit score and that becomes more of a thing in like a chicago or new york you know which one's closest to easiest to get to by way of subway station or whatever so i think there's a lot a lot to that. The other thing that's so subjective is just like photos, especially in the office space. It's like, I need to see what it looks like, you know, outside and inside and just kind of like the vibes, like, you know, like you're saying, uh, you know, how do you quantify vibes, you know? Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's a feature opportunity there. Come on. I like it. Um, yeah. so that's scout space. If you're interested, go scoutspace.io, hit up John, uh, don't make them extend your free trial too long. Uh, pay for <laughs> we, we pay for stuff here. Um, flip forms. You sold that, you created it. Tell us about that mm-hmm. and why y'all decided to sell it. Yeah. Good question. I think sometimes you like think back, like building a business is really hard. Uh, you know, and like, I, I don't know if you listened to how I built this, but it, I think it's encouraging and also really frustrating because it's like you can't condense 13 years of sweat and toil into 20 minutes and just, you know, it's like, it's hard as an entrepreneur to listen to that stuff and be like, it doesn't feel like that right now. Like it feels awful. Um, And on that note, I was recently listening to a kind of keynote speech, the CEO of Osprey like backpacks. Yeah. Uh, he had a really good line. He said, cause he was kind of, you know, it was a 20 minute conversation about how they, he grew it and sold it for $500 million. And, but he said, he's like, you know, for the moments of popping champagne, like those moments were, were this, you know, and compared to the, the length of toil and sweat and tears, you know, that kind of led to that. So I don't know. I think it's, is interesting thing. So back to flip forms, flip forms was, it's a really small niche space. It, you know, performance lead gen space is like, there's What's a performance whole world lead of, gen. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of a, honestly, kind of a gross underbelly of like, uh, of there's massive amounts of data that gets passed around and, get sent in emails and text messages in so many different forms that that generate ultimately leads for big companies that we know of rocket mortgage and quicken loans and you know um i can't think of it right now the, the companies those, the that put solar. their names on arenas so big yeah, companies. exactly and so those guys the way that whole world works is you could have a massive set of millions of records of people's data and they'll, you know, you'll reach out to them by way of email or running ads to them or whatever. They will 
in, you know, express interest, click on the email to add it and they'll get sent to a form and that form has to collect information. And so there's a whole world of how do you optimize that form to increase conversion rate, right? If I have a hundred people go to a form and I can make 10 fill out the form instead of two, like that's, it's a game changer. It makes the campaign, the numbers work versus not work. So um, a big way to do that is like, is multi-step form. So like one page, one question, you answer the question, it takes you to the next stage. The user builds intent before you ask them to add any PII, you know, email, phone number, whatever. And so um, multi-step forms, you know, are, are a big thing. So what flip forms was, is uh, what a lot of people would do in that industry is like create a WordPress website, use a tool called gravity forms, but they would at scale be running maybe 20 different forms. So they would have 20 different WordPress installs and it was a nightmare to manage. So word uh, flip forms was a multi-tenant application that would give users the ability in one place manage all their forms and they could deploy their forms to their own unique domain name and and they could build out all custom logic for all the multi-step forms uh, that they wanted to build so uh, and then on the back end once a user filled out the form you could integrate and push the data wherever you want uh, so through a series of relationships with people who are in that space like i didn't identify the opportunity i was brought in to say hey this is what we're trying to figure out and I was like, this needs to be its own application. So we built it for ourselves to use. And then we're, again, back to that same story. Like, could we commercialize this? What other people pay to use this? Uh, so we did that. Got some users on it. Um, the growth was slow. It was. It's a weird industry. And it's hard to identify the people in the industry. They're not. Um, it's hard to track down. So we got it. We got in a pretty good place. Um and an opportunity came to sell it. And for different reasons, as the founders together, we decided like, yeah, let's just go ahead and do this. So uh, we sold it. And so it was good. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, it was fun to have kind of a start, middle and end to that whole thing. Yeah. Was that your first business to exit? Only business to exit? Um, I guess. Yeah, kind of. I guess so. And did type form or not type flip forms and um, scout space? Did those all start as crate buying projects and then kind of spun off into their own entities? They started more so as like kind of side endeavors for me. You know, crate bind, we're really like working to serve a client. So, client comes to us and says, you know, Jake Crandall comes to us and says, I'm in the financial advising world and there's, you know, here's 10 reasons why betterment sucks, but here's a better opportunity. <laughs> and I went and raised a million bucks from my uncle. Let's go build this thing. So our goal in that is to protect your idea, protect your IP. You know, we are never going to like, Oh, Jake. Yeah. We'll take your money and then go spin this out and build it on the side. So right. You know, there's a there's a wall of separation there, but you know, I think I probably have found that what makes what makes me keeps me interested in things is like creating new things. Like I just am obsessed with starting new things, uh, and so I think having like an outlet of creating something new, and most time that comes from, you know, um, finding people that are in an industry 
and you're kind of like, hey, let's talk about what you're dealing with and and see if there's an opportunity to go create a solution here. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and then we use leverage the crate bind team kind of as we can, but that's always a, a very delicate balance. Yeah, no, for sure. So you start crate bind. What year is it when y'all get out of the grocery business? Maybe 2015 or something. The grocery thing was like 2014. Yeah. So you're doing crate bind. How y'all start out just the, you, your brother-in-law and your sister, how many employees are you at today? I think we have 34 total people right now. 34. And are they in Dallas or they in Colorado? Are they all over? Yeah, they are all over. You know, we were all in office, uh, pre COVID and then, um, COVID happened. We had like another year on our lease. So we kept an empty office for a year and then uh, we didn't renew. And I don't know, it's it's like a constant question of like, is this good? Is this not good? Like, should we be in the office? Is this hurting us in some way? And so we're constantly reevaluating it for about a year. So we had a WeWork just to like, you know, give people a place to go. And like, we had a few people that used it but for the most part, like people have gotten their home home office set up and it turns out they like getting the hour back a day that it takes yeah. to drive to an office and back. And like for me personally, having little kids and like being able to have a series of meetings and walk inside and have lunch with the family and then walk back out to my office. And, you know, like I, I mean, there's aspects that I miss of of being with people, but, um, I, I mean, it's the same story with most people, but you know, it's, man, it's so cool. The amount of time I get with my family, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting. For sure. You didn't get on scout space and it was like, okay, yeah, we're going to be at home. That's the most ideal. Yeah. Yeah. You log <laughs> your own, your own home as a commute option. Yeah. It's, you know, like I think scout space is interesting cause like the timing of it is unique where, it's like, well, you know, work has changed, but like most, a lot of companies still have, you know, are at the very least are doing some kind of hybrid model of office space. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows what this all looks like five years from now. Right. For sure. Yeah. So what was the, so y'all go full remote, what in 2021 and you don't yeah, keep a we work anymore and you moved to Colorado. What's been the biggest challenge of leading your team from abroad from the Rockies from the Rockies um good question I I think I don't know like I don't know what I would say the biggest challenge is I don't know that it's felt really seamless um you know going going remote I think I think it would, like so if I was running a, a team of 50 salespeople, I would, I would be back in the office right now. Like, yeah. I think it really depends on the type of people on your team and like what you're doing. Our, our team is made up by and large by very, very like self-motivated people. Not saying like salespeople are not self-motivated, but like, even if you walked in our office prior to COVID, it was like, you could hear a pin drop. Like everyone had noise canceling headphones on. If I was, you know, people that are, 10 feet away from each other are slacking each other as opposed to like talking to each other. So it's like 
that's like the, that is, I think, our industry to a degree. And, and um, you know, so it's I, I, I compared to salespeople because I think that's a it's a it's really hard to stay motivated in in that type of role, I think. And having the camaraderie of being around people uh, can really help keep the energy. And I think in our industry, it's very deep focus. It's very like, you know, um, diving deep into things and, and solving complicated problems that a lot of times people prefer to do, uh, in some, some form of isolation. So, uh, you know, I, we did, we did a trip and in 21, we brought our whole team to Colorado and rented out a young life camp. And that was really fun. And then last year we did it in Dallas. We, um, you know, did some stuff around the city, which was really fun. And so I, I think, finding ways to still get together as a team, uh, you know, at least once a year is is probably really important for us. Um, And, uh, but, you know, there's so many benefits of being remote too. Like, obviously we get to live up here and it's, uh, it's a blast. Yeah. How did you decide to move up to Colorado? You didn't let Dallas get its claws into you. Yeah, Dallas's claws were definitely in there, but uh, I always like wanted to move. But like, it's hard when you have an office and your team there and everything. Like, you know, it's like you can't just leave. Uh, and so, COVID was interesting in that kind of made the decision for us. I think we, my wife and I, like we, I think it was like March twelfth, twenty twenty. I think uh, we like sent out the message, Hey guys, next week, let's just, let's do, let's work from home. We don't know what's going on with all of this. And so, uh, and then obviously like literally never went back to the office after that. But, uh, but we, my wife and I like flipped a coin between going to Florida or Colorado because we have, uh, like relatives have houses in both places. Um, and so we, uh, went to Colorado and we went for a week and ended up staying for, you know, the next three years. And we bought a house here and, uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting. It's been fun. That's awesome, man. So what, uh, what does your day to day look like as the CEO of Crapevine? And then I have a follow-up question to, um, just your team and being motivated. And are there any ways that like, they're incentivized on the projects they're working on or is it just kind of the nature of that industry and coding that people are just locked in and it's just such deep focus or are there things that y'all do as a management team to keep people focused on just cranking out and shipping product? Yeah. So the, my day to day, um, it's an interesting question. I, I, I think most of what I do now is op- is operating around the kind of new business development sales side of meeting with a prospective client, understanding what they're trying to solve, understanding if we're a good fit, um, trying to communicate, set expectations around what it looks like working together and, you know, that type of, of situation and, and then working forward to um, get started on a project is where I spend the majority of my time um, on the incentivizing the team. It's really interesting. Like I, I think you just, you, I think when you're operating a business, you learn so much as you go. And then in hindsight, things seem to be incredibly apparent that 
didn't, you know, when you were looking into the future, uh, which is always really interesting. Um, I do think our team is really self-motivated, like I said, and there's also like an element of necessary accountability. So one thing that we, and this is just like across our team, but like we, we, the way we uh, generate revenue is we invoice clients for time spent working on things. So it's a, we call it time and materials. And we used to just, um, employees would just track the time. They would log into something and punch in their hours and just track it. And it wasn't attached to anything they were doing. They would write notes in on what they did. And, and we had a developer, an employee at the time, this was probably three or four years ago, who was like very passionate to me about how the only way to do this is to track your time against the actual tasks that you're working on. Uh, and at the time we didn't have the systems to do that. Uh, and it was just interesting. So, you know, to answer your question, like we ended up developing out a system internally to where literally everyone at the company has a, effectively a list of things that they're working on this week. Uh, and each thing that they're working on, has an estimate of time it should take to do that thing. And then they track their time against that specific thing. So um, there's like a ton of automated accountability because if I walk in on a Monday morning, I've got, you know, 30 to 45 hours worth of work already laid out for me. And then I'm tracking what I'm doing against those tasks that have already been laid out. So it's like, if this should take four to eight hours and it takes seven, like I'm good. Uh, and, uh, and I think that, you know, that is like the the best sense of like we do, it gives us this incredible trans it's a lot of work to set it all up, but it gives us an incredible amount of transparency around how we're tracking its projects, what everyone's actually doing. And it's really hard to like not give it give it a hundred percent because it's like, you know, if you're a if you kill it and you can get everything done in thirty hours, then it's like awesome. And then, you know, if you don't do anything like you're not going to get your stuff done. And so like, uh, that's been good. And then, you know, we always incentivize our team if they have relationships or people they know that need software, you know, we'll, we incentivize everyone on our team that if they can bring opportunities in that they, um, you know, benefit from that. Uh, so hopefully that kind of answers your question. No, I think that's great. I think, uh, you know, you read stuff like in the wall street journal about, these giant like S and P 500 companies of people working from home and they have like the technology, I guess, to track that like people are working at home, not for the, I mean, for the most part, I don't know, but a lot of people at home were doing nothing. And that's why they yeah. started when interest rates went up, they just started hacking people away. And yeah, you think that if they had something like this, that would have been very helpful. And well, it's interesting. Like on that note, we, tried we played with a lot of different things and there's a lot of like serious big brother stuff you can put on like you you know <laughs> as an employer you can say hey download this on your computer and there was one thing we can't remember what it was called but it would like it would track everything that they do so you could see how much time did you spend on these different applications what websites did you visit what how much time did you spend on each web like you uh, and then and we just gen like as a company side like that's just not that's not the vibe we want. Like, no. we, you know, like there's, there's some level of like, 
that's too far. And then like zero accountability, you know, is like, we're all, we're all human. Um, yeah, it think, might be you know, legal, biggest... but it's not ethical. Doesn't yeah, mean it's yeah. right if you can do that. Right. And I think it like starts with like putting the right people on your team that like care more about where they're going in life than, than like this paycheck this week. Right. It's like, and I think that's the greatest thing about our team is like with or without Crapevine, they're going somewhere. And as long as Crapevine can help facilitate that, like they want to improve and get better and like be able to look back six months, a year and say, look how I've improved. And as long as I can do that Crapevine, then great. So it's like the onus is on us to like create opportunities for them to excel. Uh, but when you have a team of people like that, you know, it's like get out of their way and let them go. Um and then just try to make sure everything stays on the rails. Um, and so I think, you know, building a team and a culture like that is probably the best antidote to, you know, a lack of accountability or a lack of productivity, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. So real quick, before we jump out of here, I just want to talk real quick about your family, your life and building that around Crapebind and, making the decision to move out of Dallas, move to Colorado and effectively managing your time. And you're about to have your third kid on the way. What are some things that you think you've done well over the last few years? And what are some challenges that you've faced or some things that you're like, man, I, I didn't handle that so well when it comes to managing yeah, your a, time and diving in a hundred percent into everything you do. It's a good question. I think, um, I think for, for me, the, I would say, so like the other, the other element of this I'm kind of leaving out is I got married in 2015 and then Connie is my wife. She jumped into Crapevine on everything that we did uh, and was full-time working there uh, until we started having kids. So um, I would say, you know, the process of like, of, having our first kid, Connie was trying to juggle both things. And that was like a very, that was a hard period. Uh, it was like, we'd both be working. We'd hear our kid wake up from his nap. And then it was like, who's, who's getting him, you know? <laughs> and like that, that stuff is tough. I think Connie graciously, like, and as we figured this out, you know, we made the decision together that she was going to step away from work. We, we hired someone to replace what she was doing and she became fully focused on uh, raising our kids. Um, and so I think something that's been really uh, a big blessing for me is, is really intentional communication with her and expectation setting around like, this is what work's going to look like. Um, you know, we kind of have a, you know, a, a, a thing that's like during these work hours, like those are, those are work. Those that's work time um, for me. And then like, and then I try to be really intentional about like after that time, like I'm done with work and I'm focused on our family um, and just trying to draw hard lines there. Like it's not always easy, but I think that has been, um, you know, just communicating around. I, I talked to a lot of friends that work from home and maybe their spouse works from home and there's a tension around, you know, that stuff. And I, I mean, you know, I, I think it's tough, right? Like, I think it's tough anytime you have both both husband and wife working. Um, and then I've had other friends, maybe their spouse doesn't work, but 
there's an unwritten kind of un, unspoken expectation that they should help out the kids, you know, for a couple hours here and there, and it can create a lot of frustration. So I don't know, like communicating a lot. I think Connie's incredible and, you know, super respectful of like just giving, giving me a lot of like latitude to, to work. And then I've just try to respect her and, and the energy she's putting forth, raising her kids and try to draw hard lines on, you know, when it's going to, when I'm going to be done with work and plug in uh, with our family. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's been my experience. It does for sure. I think my experience, I mean, my wife and I both work and we have three little kids and it can, we can be in times where it's smooth and then one kid gets sick, the next one gets sick, the next work gets stressful and it just, it can hit the fan pretty quickly and the ball can start rolling, but just, I think you hit it, the nail on the head, just communicating, assuming the best in each other. And as long as everyone feels like they're giving 51% and giving it all in and none of us are perfect. And there are going to be times where I don't give 51%, um, but the communicating and coming back to each other um, is huge. Well, John, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your time. Um, Go find John at Crapevine, find him at Scout Space. And we appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. Congrats on starting the podcast, you know, wishing the best for you and hopefully you become Guy Ross before we know it. Yeah, Guy Ross. There you go. Uh, All right. Well, talk soon. Thanks, man. Welcome to the Barely Liquid Podcast. On this show, I talk about planning a life around illiquidity. Join us as we navigate around the complexities of investing in businesses, real estate, and more. To learn more, visit jakecran.com. That's J-A-K-E-C-R-A-N.com.